welcome to Step Back Sisterhood. You can find us on Twitter at Step Back Sisters. I'm one of your hosts, Britt, and I'm here with Amber, Tara, and Janelle. Today, we're going to talk about each one of our teams and discuss what our, um, I, I guess, maybe how happy we are with our teams or maybe not so much happy with our teams and our sort of thoughts and feelings as the season, you know, attempts to goes on, although there have been a lot of postponements in between. So let's start about, start with the um, Oklahoma City Thunder first. So Amber, how are you feeling about your team so far? Oklahoma City has played above expectations, in my opinion. I, I think so. Right now, Oklahoma City is six and nine. Had two tough back-to-back games with the Clippers. We actually had Denver, Clippers, Clippers. And next, we'll be playing Portland. Then we Phoenix, then Brooklyn, then Houston back-to-back. And then Minnesota back-to-back. And then the Lakers back-to-back. I guess that's how the new scheduling is working. I, I had no clue how they were going to schedule games, but it looks like you're going to play teams back-to-back, which I guess that's smart for traveling purposes. And there's been some tough losses. There's been some tough wins in the season. Very young team. A lot of people expected this team to tank. Matter of fact, uh, when OKC was was 1-0, everybody was making a joke, as team, no tank. You know, we were undefeated. <laughs> the game was postponed against Houston, so it was like we were like one of the last – Undefeated teams, we only had played one game, which was very, very interesting. Um, the losses OKC has is Utah, Orlando, New Orleans, Miami, San Antonio, the Lakers, and then they have three losses in a row with Denver and the Clippers um, back-to-back, of course. And then a game against Philadelphia 76ers has been postponed. Those next one, two, three. Three opponents are going to be very tough for OKC. They have Portland, Phoenix, and Brooklyn. Uh, Portland Dame just came out with a shoe dedicated to Game 7. I know Tyra's going to talk about that. <laughs> I was shocked when I saw that. <laughs> he actually made a shoe in OKC colors. Yes. He made a yes. shoe in the color of the team that he hit the shot over. I was like, even for Dame, I was shocked. <laughs> I don't know yeah, why I, I would be. You know, it's, you know, he's feeling, Dame is feeling himself. One of my favorite players to watch. He had the twins. So congratulations to Dame. And then he made the shoe. So they go to Portland and then Phoenix on the 27th and Brooklyn on the 29th. Phoenix uh, had a tough loss against Denver. I think they had two tough back-to-back losses against Denver. Brooklyn, we don't know what team we're going to get, but Kyrie and Kevin Durant and James Harden seem to be playing well together, even though they can't stop anybody. and Anybody can score against them in the paint. Reportedly, they're looking at Jared Allen to get some help um, in that interior defense because DeAndre Jordan is just not what he used to be. And then you have a young rookie from Mississippi State and Reggie Perry that I like a lot, but it's going to take some time to develop. Those three games are going to be tough. Those three games are going to be tough for Oklahoma City, especially the young team. That second unit, when it comes in, I just hold my seat and I hold my breath because that unit is a wild card. That second unit is a big wild card. When the first unit comes in, it's, everything is good. Even last season when the second unit came in, it was still a bit of a wild card but they were able to stay in games and things like that. But this season, they're very young. It's a different looking team. Very 
tough to watch that second unit play basketball. It is very, very tough to watch them play basketball. Uh, SGA leading OKC in scoring at 21 points a game. He's leading in assists as well. Lou Dort leads in steals. Baisley leads in, leads in rebounds. And Poku leads in blocks. It's going to take some time for Poku to, to develop. He's a developmental player. We're just going to have to see how he develops. Tell Melodon has been playing very well. I'm happy with the way Isaiah Roby's been playing. Um, even Hamidou Diallo has his moments where I'm just excited to call his name. Al Horford has to get back into the groove because he just had a baby. George Hill made those comments, and I don't know how I feel about George Hill right now. <laughs> I'm kind of having mixed mixed feelings about George Hill. <clears throat> Chase being Shay, Baisley's in a little slump, but I'm pretty sure he'll get out of it. And Dort is second in the, in the on the team in scoring, which we never saw that coming, but he's also our defensive stopper. So OKC is where I expected them to be, six and nine, which in the West is very jumbled. The West is very jumbled right now anyway. The middle, the top is even jumbled. You got, well, actually, Utah was at the top of the West, but now, oh, since the Clippers won, the Clippers are now 13 and four. The Lakers are 13 and four, and then Utah is 12 and four. So some of those teams are trying to separate themselves. Would I think Utah will stay at 12 and four? No. Do I expect the Clippers in LA to stay there? Yes. I expect for those two teams to separate themselves. Can OKC get out of that bottom four? I'm not sure because it has OKC and Houston are tied at six and nine, but Houston, I think, has the better divisional record. So they're ahead of OKC because they're two and two. OKC is 0 and two. And then below OKC, you got Sacramento, the Pelicans, and the Timberwolves. It's the West is going to be tough. It's going to be tough for OKC, but I don't expect OKC to move into that playing game. I think they'll be where they are. But if they did move into that playing game, I would be very happy if they did, if they were able to do that as an OKC fan and an OKC native, that'd be great to see to rise above expectations. But those young guys are really learning how to play together. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. I just want to see them be competitive. If I just see you guys out there competing every single night, Lost to the Clippers tonight by eight. They came, had a little comeback yesterday, but it was Kawhi and Paul George were just too much. And they lost to the Clippers the other night. But I'm happy to see that OKC is being competitive and they're not just laying down and saying, okay, we're tanking. So for that being said, I'm very pleased with the way they've performed thus far. Cool. Thank you for that recap, Amber. Um, I have a question for you. So you mentioned that SGA is leading in scoring, but do you think that so far he has taken more of the leadership role that he may have learned a lot from, from um, Chris Paul, who's now of course a part of the Phoenix Suns? Yes. He's talked about it. He's, he's talked about how Chris Paul molded him into that leadership role and taught him a lot. He and Dennis Dennis has talked about it as well. How, Last year, no one expected them to be good. Chris Paul has been in and out lineup since his career has started well in the, towards the back end of his career with injuries. He moved to Oklahoma City and went plant-based. And hey, he played a whole he, he played a whole season. He even got a dunk in an all-star game. Like he even caught an alley-oop in an all-star game. It was like, yeah, thank you can thank that. You can um 
give that to my plant-based diet that I'm on. I'm like, okay, cool. So he stayed healthy and he was able to mentor SGA and Dennis. And honestly, if I think the, if the season had not paused, I think OKC could have made a better push. I think that pause kind of threw everybody off, honestly. But I was really, really happy to see SGA take that next step. He had his coming out party in the, with the Clippers a couple of years ago in the playoffs when he played from Doc Rivers. And Doc Rivers did not want to let him go. But there's always a scapegoat in a big trade. So you saw with um, Kevin Harden, I'm not Kevin Harden, <laughs> James Harden going to Brooklyn, you had to get rid of Karis LeVert, which is probably a fan favorite and Jared out, lose some of your interior defense to get James Harden. For OKC to get uh, Chris Paul, essentially, because I'll put that Houston and that Clippers trade together because if Paul George doesn't go, Russell Westbrook doesn't go. You had to give up a piece to get Paul George. You just had to. So that that really, really, really helped his career, I believe. If he would have stayed with the Clippers, I don't think he'd be the player he is today. And for that trade, I'm very grateful, very thankful um, for that trade to have went down. So I have a question. It sounds like you but sounds like OKC has played a lot of really tough games already. So I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> and it sounds like you're feeling generally pretty happy about how things are going. My question for you is I keep forgetting Al Horford is on the team. Tell yes. me about Al Horford and how he's fitting in and what his role seems to be. And if he seems like he's, you know, going to be a long-term fit there, or if maybe this is just uh, another stop. Al Horford, I'm trying to get a gauge on Al Horford. He's only played nine games thus far this season. Like I said, his wife just had a baby. So he's been out for a little bit. He's averaging 11 points per game and seven rebounds. So I like Al Horford. Long-term, no, he will not be there. They will, be, they will get younger long-term. I think I don't think he's going to be there at the trade deadline. He might stay. Who knows? Who knows what Sam Presti has up his sleeve? Nobody really knows. But if you were to ask me about Al Horford four or five years ago, even in his Celtics years, so about like three years ago, I'm like, oh, yeah, I like Al. But he's getting older. The team around him is younger, essentially. He and George Hill are the oldest players on the team currently on the roster, if I'm looking at it correctly. Yes. So I like Al Horford. I don't like him for this team, no, because of the direction that OKC is going into doesn't fit with Al Horford and I think he'll be there this season but Sam Presti could surprise me and trade him and get some more picks or pieces whatever he chooses to do but I guess I I appreciate Al Horford for what he's done in the past hasn't done much in OKC honestly when I've watched him play Am I expecting more from Al Horford? Uh, kind of, sort of, not really. Like, I have conflicting views on Al Horford, and I don't know why I do, but I just do. It's hard for me to explain, Tara. It really is. Well, I just it wonder, is. you know, as one of the older dudes on the team, when there's so many young guys on the team, like, maybe some of his contribution isn't most significant actually on the court at this point. Yeah, but he's never been that rah-rah guy. SGA is leader of that team. They go as he goes. On and off the court, in my opinion. I think he's just taking over that leadership role. Al Horford's never been that rah-rah guy, the voice. George Hill's quiet, very quiet. 
very quiet personality from what I've been told by reporters. When I see stuff on Twitter, George Hill is very quiet unless he's speaking about like social justice um, views and things like that. He's a very quiet person. So it's not George Hill. It is Shea Gilders Alexander. It, it's, it's just him. And it has to be him. I'm not saying that Al Horford doesn't have a place with OKC, but future. if we look in a crystal ball, then he's not there. If that makes sense. But I appreciate Al Horford's game. I really do. It just does not fit with, with, with what OKC is trying to do. How are your chances in them making it to a playing game? Mm, it's it's rough. The West is rough. And it would have to be, man, I'm, I'm looking at the <laughs> standings right now. It would take them, because the teams ahead of them, Houston, San Antonio, Golden State, Dallas, Phoenix, Memphis even, but Memphis hasn't played in a while, Denver, Portland, Utah, the Lakers and the Clippers, they would probably have to be a couple of games out with a couple of games left. We don't know what the second half of the season is going to look like. Of course, they don't have the schedule for that. But they would have to position themselves and beat teams they're supposed to beat and beat a couple of teams they're not supposed to beat Now let's, to get in that position. But let's just say, okay, if the second half of the uh, schedule is rolled out and they end up playing, you know, in a divisional base type situation, how would those odds be then? Their division is tough. <laughs> their their division's even tough. That's that's real tough because you got Utah, Portland, and Denver in your division, and Utah, Denver, and Portland are three, four, and five <laughs> already in the in the West. So getting four teams in that division in the playoffs could be rough because the Pacific Division has the Clippers, Lakers, Phoenix, Golden State, and Sacramento in the Southwest Division, has Memphis, Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, and the Pelicans. It's going to be tough for them to even make it to that playing game just because of those teams in their division. Are, they're just better. They're better. They're better teams. They're playing better. Uh, they have better players, better coaches. I can say that, honestly say that. And when I look around the league, I'm trying to figure out who could they be better than that even have a chance to get into that play-in game. Like, if you look at, okay, who do we think is going to be at the bottom? Because we really don't know. Who do you think is going to be at the bottom of the West? And who could they have a chance for that play-in game? San Antonio might be at the bottom of the West. San Antonio has been playing very well this season. And Golden State has slipped a little bit. Golden State's had their moments, and they played well. Steve Kerr is finally just letting Steph do his thing. Um, <laughs> about time. I, I think Janelle has some <laughs> thoughts on that. We're about ready. Oh, uh, yeah, she, she will. She will. But, you know, Golden State might not be at the top. They might be in that middle pack, maybe the bottom. So, okay, you got to be better than Golden State. Memphis, you don't know um, because they haven't played in, in a week or so. Dallas will be there. Houston might come together and get there. New Orleans, I don't know. I just don't trust New Orleans Pelicans. Utah will be there. I think Portland will kind of stay in the middle. I think Denver kind of stay at the top or the middle. So you really have to be better than Golden State, Dallas, and San Antonio, probably Houston. 
So that's probably where you're competing with those teams. And it's going to be very difficult for them to compete with those teams, um, especially if Houston gets it together, which I think they'll be better if John Wall is healthy. I don't know if they're going to lose P.J. Tucker. Brittany's going to talk about that. But <laughs> it, you're going to have to be better than one of those teams or maybe a couple of those teams to even get in that playing game. Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense. And one more quick question. You mentioned that the coaching for some of those teams is better than what the Thunder have. Um, you know, speaking of which, Mark, um, I cannot say his last name, but Mark. Dagonal. Yeah. That, oh, you finally are able to say his name. Hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I tried to, I had to, I had to, really, I had to learn how to say the man's name. <laughs> but uh, Mark Dagonal, he, how are you liking him or maybe not so much liking him so far as new head coach of the Thunder? I think he leaves his first unit out too long. Those guys are young. Let them run. You only got 72 games. I didn't like that at first. I think he's starting to come along, though, as a coach. It's going to take him some time. You know, he's a young coach in NBA. Yes, he's been an assistant for OKC, and he's coached before. But you're now the head guy of an organization that's looking to go young. And... Knowing how to coach younger guys, I heard, was very difficult. Doc Rivers talked about it with his time in Orlando, learning how to coach younger guys versus coaching veteran guys. So it's very hard for him to get a feel of the game, but he's going to get it. He's, it's going to come. And I expect him to make mistakes. He, mistakes. He's a rookie head coach. But so far, I'm pleased. And I can honestly say that I had no clue who – I knew who he was. I just didn't think that OKC would hire him. Can I just say that? Because I don't want to disrespect a man like that. But I didn't think OKC would hire him because they didn't say anything about it. There was no leaks in the OKC camp about anything. It was just kind of like, boom, here's our head coach. We were waiting. You guys remember that? We were waiting to see who OKC was going to hire. Everybody else had hired a head coach. And OKC is just chilling, waiting around. And then, boom, we got this guy. And he's been in the organization. And I'm like, why could you just guys just not give us a leak or anything? But I'm pleased thus far. He's going to have some learning to do. But so far, I'm pleased with the way he's performed as a head coach. Well, hopefully Dagonal will continue to have success outside of the Rockets or any other of the teams that we may or may not like. So thank you, Amber. (laughs) Uh, Let's now get over to the Trailblazers. Tara, what are your thoughts so far? Um, Or I guess with another week of seeing your team. Um, minus one game since they were pro- since it was postponed. Well, the Blazers are now without their second and third best player for at least four four weeks for CJ and six for Yusuf Nurkic. That's when they're supposed to be reevaluated. Yusuf Nurkic broke his wrist in a just total. You know, it just happened. Like he was swiping for someone, and like nobody can figure out how it actually broke during that. But that looks like it occurs as as he was swiping for a ball. CJ's foot uh, broke when uh, Clint Capella, I think, um, came down on top of him again. Total, just an accident. Um, but yeah, so. Blazers are in a situation now where Dame is without CJ for an extended period of time. Um, the Blazers, of course, have been without Yusuf Nurkic for an extended period of time before, but there's never been this much time where Dame has been without CJ. So uh, I'm trying to 
there's no, you know, there's nothing good about this. So, but what I'm trying to do is figure out, um, I'm excited about what we're going to learn because um, this is going to be a really interesting chance for Dame to show how, like how he's going to be the floor general without his number one next to him. And I think it'll be a real opportunity for um, him to shine kind of what I'm hoping because the Blazers are still trying to work in uh, Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. as well. Um, one of the, You mentioned that uh, they had a game postponed. They actually had two games postponed against Memphis this week. So, like, as unfortunate as the postponement was for everybody, um, the timing couldn't have been any better for the Blazers because between the injuries and also, like you were saying, Amber, uh, Dame's fiance, had twins uh, just yesterday. So uh, that came at a good time. And also, but uh, an additional thing is that the Blazers actually got to practice. So uh, Blazer fans are waiting to see what happened in practice. Uh, if I had my, um, my wishes, all my wishes come true, they did nothing but practice throwing lobs to Derek Jones Jr. But I don't think that's probably what was the top thing on their mind. So I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, what they've come up with to do with these like just huge gap that they now have you know two of their five starters are now out and i think the one unfortunate thing for the blazers is that i mean they do have eight wins but since there's such a big huge log jam between essentially their seed which is the fourth seed and the basically like the 14th seed it's going to be like they're going to have to try to win as many yeah. games as possible before their return I'm not even looking at that at this point. It doesn't make any sense to look at it because and I was also have been saying the same thing. The same thing's going to happen that happens every single year to the Blazers without fail. Just like it never snows in Portland when they tell us it's going to snow, the Blazers always get off to a different start than we expect, and then in the last couple of weeks they come roaring down the track. And they fight their way into a un completely unexpected place. And I'm sure that's how it's going to happen again this year. So I'm not even looking at the standings at this point. It's not even worth it because everything changes so quickly. Just like when I opened this page and uh, like an hour ago and refreshed it, the standings have already changed. So <laughs> I'm not looking at that. I'm just, I'm just going to try to focus on how's Dame going to play without CJ? So one thing that was interesting that I was expecting that was going to happen is that with CJ out, then sort of the heir apparent to the number two, in my mind was Gary Trent Jr. Everybody's wild about Gary Trent Jr. He's been playing fantastic, you know, in the bubble. He's not quite as consistent during this season, but like he's a two. So I thought, okay, well, this is Gary's chance to start. And then, what should have been predictably, because this is how uh, Stotts always does things, um, he started Rodney Hood. And what Stotts likes to do a lot is he likes to not mess up with his rotations. He likes to keep the rotations as, um, you know, as, as stable as he can, and then just like shift somebody in. So instead of having Gary go into the starting lineup and then shift everybody, he's leaving Gary as one of the main focal points of the second unit. So... You know, it's kind of nice because Rodney's having a little bit of struggle coming back from his um, Achilles injury and uh, the game before the two Memphis games got canceled when Rodney started, he had a really nice game and he got into a really nice scoring mode. So that'd be great if we can continue to see him kind of get his feet back under him. Well, speaking of 
uh, you know, folks who are recent additions to the team, Robert Covington is not necessarily having his best year so far. Um, what are your thoughts about him? And do you think his defense is contributing from his offensive lack or his lack of offense at this point? Yeah, I'm not worried about Robert Covington fitting in because um, you were somebody who pointed out about his, his streaky shooting, um, and we're used to that. And I'm still convinced that Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. are like playing a, just a different version of Alpha Rukuminu and Mo Harkless. And it took a, almost a full year for Alpha Rukuminu and, uh, and Mo Harkless to get fit into the scheme and for everybody to figure out all their different parts. So. Um, Already, we've seen like we've had. There's been games like against the Lakers, um, some other team. I can't remember the other teams, but there's been moments where you go, "Oh, that's what it's gonna look like." Like they they have their moments where everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're on a string, and now we have Robert Covington in a lane where we didn't have anybody in a lane before. So I can see it. So I'm not concerned with his lack of offensive production right now. Um, without Nurkic in the starting lineup, though, I'm really hoping that he'll get his groove back because um, uh, having Ennis Cantor in for Yusuf Nurkic provides uh, a bit, quite a bit of offensive firepower, but it uh, leaves a lot to be desired defensively. I just, I love Ennis Cantor as a backup center. I think that is his perfect role. But once again, he's been put in the position of our, of the starting center. The Blazers have had their, you know, rash of postponements. Um, what do you expect in their first game as of this taping? What do you expect? Ha- how you think they're going to deal with the rust? You think there'll be any rust? I think I'm hoping that it's really going to prove to be a good thing because like I said, they haven't really had a chance to practice and they have a lot of new pieces. And even with the new pieces, things have shifted yet again. So I, I would guess that also with just like how tough the schedule has been for everybody playing basically every other night for weeks, I don't anticipate that they're going to have rust because I anticipate that they're going to be really ready to get back out there and try to apply these things that they just worked on in practice. I've got a question for you. And this might be a little sensitive subject because I know you like Terry. Oh, now I have some Blazers (laughs) fans that I follow on Twitter, Mm -hmm. also on my sports network. And they said that if Terry Stotts, if they don't improve, Terry Stotts might be gone at the end of the season. How do you feel about Terry Stotts? So, yeah, there's definitely a hashtag fire Stotts uh, that is um, getting louder. I don't really know what's going to happen. I do believe that, yeah, if anything happens, it will be at the end of the season. My thoughts on it are that Dame and Terry are incredibly connected to each other. And uh, firing Stotts will have repercussions that they will have to deal with in terms of, um, you know, keeping Dame happy. So, like, uh, I think somebody told me, like, if, you know, if they have somebody in mind that they would want to replace Stotts with that Dame likes, that might turn out to be a positive. But if it's just 
you know, fire stats and we'll figure it out later. That doesn't seem like it would jive with how Damien likes to know everything about what's going on. Um, my other thought is, and this is my hope, is that after this time off and with this new challenge of no CJ or Nurkic, that this is a chance for Stotts to show what he can do in terms of planning and putting a plan together. If they come out of this, you know, this little layoff, if they come out of all-star break and they haven't changed anything and they're still trying to figure out what to do with all these experienced players on the team, then I think that we have a problem and the people who are raising that flag, um, I'm going to start paying more attention to. But at this time, you just, I think they have to just, they've had, unanticipated losses again and they have to figure it out and you got to give them a little time to figure it out and it always on twitter it always feels like you don't have enough time but um i think the hardest thing about being a coach and about G being a gm is probably just having to have patience to tune all the noise out and focus on the team in front of you to see what you can get out of them yeah. so i don't know if that addresses all the hashtag fire stats people or not probably not <laughs> We hope so. We hope so. Yeah. And I think with any team, it's just going to be a coach gets so many years before they have to show their success. And then the fire X, Y, and Z coach comes up. Um, the Rockets had a similar situation with D'Antoni. And when he eventually left because he wasn't fired, James Harden left um, the team. Or Were they super out. close? Were they yeah. really close and connected? Mm -hmm. I mean, and in fact, they're on the same team now with the Nets. So that should probably say something, or at least a little True, bit. Yeah. Um, although I think Kevin Durant was probably bigger influence. But um, does anyone else have any other questions? If not, we can talk about our next team, which is Golden State Warriors. Janelle, go ahead. The Warriors are in a weird spot. I mean, I get what Coach Kerr is trying to do. He is trying to develop some of these players. You know, like the Ubrays, like the Wiggins, and uh, James Wiseman, but for the future. But the problem with that is you still have Steph Curry and Draymond Green in the back end of the proms, and they want to win. And as much sweat equity that they have put in that organization, they deserve that. And right now at eight and eight, they've had their moments where it looks like that they have you know, gotten it, especially on the defensive end. And there's been quite a bit of moments where they have regressed, not only on defense, but on offense as well. And right now, that team is in an identity crisis. It don't know what it wants to be. It don't know whether or not it wants to establish principles on defense first or, you know, get their offensive rating up with the starters. They don't know whether or not they are looking, they're still doing that motion offense or they want to go ISO. And right now, I think uh, Steve Kerr needs to figure out if he's wanting to coach to win as many games as, as they can or coach for internal development. I don't know, but I know if it were me, I think you could do both at the same time. I know that you know, it's good to have that progress. I mean, that process of progression, but these are men. These are men out here. They, they want to compete and they want to win. They don't want to feel like they're wasting time. And right now, 
it seems like the, this team is wasting their time. I mean, they they've had some games that they could have won and they should have won, but they just couldn't get it done. And a lot of it falls on Kerr, and a lot of it falls on the players. It's I just don't know what to make of them right now. But what I do know is that uh, Coach Kerr gets on my nerves. That's what I do know. I guess speaking of Steve Kerr, why is he getting on your nerves exactly? Is it like or rotations? Is it just his demeanor or something else? All of it. All of it. His rotations and his demeanor, his approach to his situation. I mean, again, I get trying to develop these guys and develop them for future, but the problem with that is they're developing for a future that's not really guaranteed. And with that roster, especially that starting lineup, you don't really see it. And he would not switch Ubre for Damian Lee or Mulder for whatever reason. But I think the reason is, is confidence. But the thing is, these guys are professionals and they've experienced highs and lows in their career. And you, you got to do what's for the greater good of the team. And I don't think that Kerr's doing that. And, you know, it's just really hurting them. Now, I understand having Wiseman in the lineup because they don't really have a choice in that matter. Looney could just give you just burst of quality minutes. And Marquise Chris is injured. He would have been the starter, if, to be honest, if he hadn't broke his leg. And Wiseman, I mean, he's the second pick for a reason, and they're just trying to develop him. And... Unfortunately or fortunately, he's being thrown into the fire. And a lot of fans isn't really patient with Wiseman, but I am. I mean, he's 19 years old. He haven't played, um, well, he's played like only three college games. And in this league, it takes bigs more time to develop. And I'm willing to give, give that, give him a chance and plus, he have enough sense to um, seek out Draymond and the OGs. So he's willing to improve. He's willing to put in the work. But it's just going to take time for him. And offensively, I think Steph could do a better job at asserting himself. I get trying to get everybody involved. But with that lineup, he, he's going to have to eat. And once he eats, the rest follow. Uh, I guess my question for you is... Do you, I mean, do you think they should be either developing or like competing for a championship? No, or- no, now, now that's ridiculous. I'm not saying that they, they're trying to, they're going to compete for a championship, not with that roster. But what I am saying is that with, with someone like Steph, who is a two time MVP and all the accolades he has and Draymond Green, no matter what people says about him, former defensive player of the year and one of the main cogs in what they are doing. Playoffs should be a possibility. Playoffs should be a goal. I don't care what seed it is. They should, if there's playoffs in reach and they have a punchman's chance to do it, they need to take that instead of just packing it up because Clay Thompson is out with his Achilles. That's a loser's mentality. I guess um, I, yeah, what I'm trying I, to say is fight, you know, yeah. have that bit of pride. That, that's, that's all I'm saying. I ain't expecting the championship. I'm not crazy. 
but but playoffs and to get to at least the second round, considering the circumstances and the environment that they're in, that's very doable, I think. That's very feasible. It's just whether or not Kerr want to decide to coach instead of throwing his team under the bus like he did against the Knicks, talking about his team is mediocre. Well, he's he's a part of that. No one ever calls him out for what he does. I'm sorry for getting off on a tangent, but that's just what it is. No, no, I, I, because I have two like distinct lines of questioning, and I don't want to, I don't want to uh, take it all over. So I'm gonna not ask you about Kerr. I'm just gonna observe that it's so interesting to me to see Golden State in this position of being like mediocre because we've been hearing in Portland forever Portland has been mediocre and like Dame's never gonna like you know not be mediocre if he doesn't get somebody else alongside him another superstar on the team and I just I'm uh I just think it's really interesting that uh it's a it's a really interesting spot to see from the outside Golden State be in because they were in that like driver's seat for so long and then there was last year which was pretty much the opposite of that. <laughs> and now we were, you know, expecting to see him back. And I just think it's a really interesting uh, spot to see Golden State in, um, you know, being a fan of a team that's been called mediocre for so long in a derogatory way. Like, you know, a lot of people who look at Portland don't think that they're, if they aren't competing for championships, like what's the point? And I think there's a lot of points. And like you're saying, that's how I really like how you turned it into like, you know, help them put up a fight and fight for something. And like, it sounds like you want to see Kerr at least help them tap into that fight, whether or not it gets them, Yeah, help how them far in, it gets them. Help them and do that consistently. Help them put each of his players in a position to excel and to win. And so far he's not doing it. At least Stocks is trying. Yeah. He had CJ, but you know, with Ubre and this cold streak he has, w- Wiggins is doing solid, but a lot of it, a lot of the Warriors' issues in the starting lineup is that Ubre. I don't know if he's trying to be Clay, or they didn't tell him from the gate, "We're not trying to, we're not expecting you to be Clay. We're gonna maximize your strengths and take it from there." But it seems like he's trying to be Clay, not. Not because that's what that's what he thinks that is required, or he's just trying to get his payday. But that's where the problem is, and Kerr is too stubborn not to switch him out of the lineup for either Damian Lee or uh, Mulder, or heck, even Bazemore. And what's crazy about Bazemore, he's sending Steph links to how to beat the boxing one, and it was the triangle offense. And I'm like, why is he sending it to Steph? Why not Kerr? But, you know, I see why now. Because sometimes maybe even talking to Kerr is like talking to a brick wall. Maybe that's what the assumption is. But it's he's just going to have to decide whether or not he want to coach for real, for real, or just coddle role players and um, lean heavily on internal development. <laughs> That's that's what OKC is going through right now. But we know we're going through that. Like we, we OKC understands we're developing players. That's good. I think Damian Lee should get more minutes. I've been lobbying for that. He shoots the ball very very well, and he should get more minutes. Besides Steph, that's that's that. 
I will say that I owe Andrew Wiggins an, an apology of some sort. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> you tell me if I'm wrong, if I should or should not be apologizing to Andrew Wiggins. I've been so hard on Wiggins since he came into the league. I have. And, you know, when you get picked as high as he did and then you get traded, of course, that Kevin Love trade was essentially, you know, like I mentioned before, the sacrifice of Wiggins not going to Cleveland is to get Kevin Love in there in Cleveland to win a championship. So LeBron did what he had to do. Shout out to GM LeBron. And in Minnesota, he just didn't give me what I wanted from him. He just didn't give me that. It was just kind of like a half, excuse my expression, effort. It just, it just didn't look good. But with Golden State, he's playing darn good defense. I mean, he's playing very good defense. Almost Clay-esque, almost. He's not Clay, but on the defensive end, I mean. Almost Clay-esque type of defense, which is something that they needed. And on the offense, he's giving you something. Now, he's not averaging 25. I think he's averaging 18 points a game or something like that. Like 18 and a half, maybe, give or take a few percent of points. Okay. But I'm apologizing to Andrew Wiggins. So am I wrong for my apology? Absolutely, <laughs> my no, apology? absolutely not. He he is playing well and mm-hmm. he's really locked, he's more focused and more engaged in the Bay than he was in Minnesota. And he's and it's it's being shown in his defense. Offensively, I like his aggressiveness, especially like when he's with the second unit. When he's in the second unit, his aggressiveness is is more amplified. So yes, you know, um, do owe Andrew Wiggins an apology. Well, I do too, to, to be honest, because I thought he wasn't going to do much, but he has really surprised me. Ubre was a disappointment. I had him um, in one of my complex articles, you know, being like the seven players to watch or whatever, but nah, he ain't it. I was big on Uber too. Like I when OKC got Uber, I was like, "Oh, please keep Uber." But like you said, I think he's trying to fit a role that's not him. In Phoenix, he averaged a career high, I think, nineteen points per game last season, and then he like that really. Yeah, he broke his fractured or something, something with his leg, something with his leg, and he chose not to play in the bubble. I think he was healthy enough, but he chose not to play in the bubble. And I'm like, okay, Oubre is coming along. He He's coming along. Oubre has a lot of content on SportsCenter because of his putback dunks and things like that. Looks like he's got out of his shooting streak a little bit. I mean, he was abysmal from the three-point line. It looks like he's trying to get that together. I can say that much. But him being a spot-up shooter is not his game. So Mm-mm. how do you think Kerr should use Kelly Oubre in the offense? I think he, sh- he should use Oubre and attack him downhill more instead of spotting up in the corner, spotting up in the top of the key and breaking everything. And for Oubre, I think not only that he should att- attack downhill, but I would attempt more mid-range shots to get himself going before attempting a bunch of threes. That's what Kerr should do. Well, unless anyone has any other questions, I think the Warriors are trying in their mediocreness to improve. Um, but I can quickly talk about the Rockets. I, I think the last week has been a mixture of successes and failures. They've had relatively close wins um, and 
or well, they had relatively close losses with the Bulls and the Suns that they were almost able to win and they lost to both those teams. But then they were able to come and get a very close win um, in a matter of like milliseconds if um, if that shot was actually was on time, they would have lost. But I think it was positive that they um, won against the Pistons. And then the next night they were able to blow out the Mavericks, which, which was really surprising to me. Um, but I guess in a certain way, it wasn't since both of them, both teams were coming from a back, their second game of a back-to-back and both of them were traveling. Although the, Mavericks were traveling from a slightly shorter distance, which is from San Antonio to Dallas versus um, Houston, who was coming from Detroit area. So I I would have to say that the Rockets still haven't played, had um, a single game where every single person from their roster has played, period. They have had 10 different starting rotations in the last 15 games now. um, And that can make life for any head coach really difficult to determine how the, you know, the coach should, um, you know, start their rotations. And I I think all of that considering um, Steven Silas has kept the team in a really good shape and considering that, I mean, there's a literal log jam down up and down the Western conference standings the Rockets are in a pretty good uh, position as long as they can keep John Wall healthy, um, which it looks as though he was able to come back for the Mavericks, which was his first game in a couple of weeks. And he looked pretty good. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins has um, improved. Um, There's moments where it's been pretty frustrating and there's like his attempts at dunks and layups that just like look really off. But considering both Wall and Cousins have been out for, you know, close to two years before this year um, and all of the frustration that happened before the trade of James Harden, I I think that they are in a really good spot and I'm just hopeful for how the rest of the season will go. It must feel really nice to not have to talk about you know who anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been uh, checking out uh, what Houston's been up to, uh, partly because the Blazers will get uh, will be playing them soon. It looks like that there have been several like you know really good, nice, outstanding uh, individual performances from players. Are there any players that you're still like kind of waiting to see if they're going to be able to break out with Harden, or do you think that you've kind of like seen like what people can do, and now you just have to figure out the coach just has to figure out how to you know make them all gel with uh, Harden gone now I think that it's still too early to tell um like I mentioned they haven't had their full rotation of players the entire season even the game versus the Mavericks uh wall um was playing but we had other folks that were out during that game and it's going to be like that throughout like Oladipo has played so far and he was out yesterday versus the Mavericks and they were able to blow him out so um you know with that being said Porzingis was out for the Mavericks and a few other folks were out for the Mavericks so it wasn't like it was a fair comparison I think this entire season is going to be a mixture of seeing how 
teams, not just the Rockets, but across the board are able to adapt to a situation where folks may be out for extended periods of times because of COVID or may, you know, become injured and be out for extended periods or for the entire season. It's just going to be a unique circumstance. Um, There's some players that quite frankly are sort of bothering me to some degree although they're playing pretty well so Eric Gordon he has his on and off nights and he can be sort of frustrating although he's been pretty good on the shooting end Um, he just has moments where he can't really dribble well um, and he constantly appears to He'll have moments where he just like loses to someone in the paint and it causes a ton- to- turnover. But yesterday he was um, six of nine from three. And that's, you know, pretty good considering that um, the Rockets are in the bottom third or actually like the top or the bottom five when it comes to three point makes. So if Eric Gordon can t- continue his process, if um, Nawaba uh, was starting for a little bit um when daniel house um or daniel house was out and he's still out in fact because of covid protocols um but stephen silas made a good move for returning him back to the second unit and he has excelled there um and in fact he had he's had multiple nights of uh of double digit scoring so i think those two and then also mclemore he had a slump for a bit when it came to his shooting and now he's coming back up so it's pretty i think that it's going to take a while before the team has a full identity and is able to see which players fit definitely in the roles and positions that they need to but for now i'm excited to see how they're playing all things considered the Rockets acquired Kevin Porter Jr. from Cleveland. What do you expect out of him? I don't expect too much of him yet. So the Rockets are ex- essentially using the Josh Jackson method. Um, if folks um, are Johnson, sorry, Josh John- Johnson method, which is he's he's on the team, but he's essentially going to be basically in development to get his head on straight. Um, he had a few incidents, um, Kevin Porter Jr. in Cleveland, which caused them to trade him ultimately. And he also had some um, issues when it came to his college days. So I think overall he has potential and he has a ton of talent. Um, I mean, he had a 30 point go- game versus the Rockets last season. So it's not like he doesn't have any, you know, any sort of way to be successful. I think it's just going to take some time and I think it's appropriate for him to sort of take that method that the Memphis did with Josh um, Johnson. And in fact, um, Josh played um, versus the Rockets um, in or as a member of the Pistons a couple of nights ago. And he had a very good game versus the Rockets, even though he and I, I keep on saying his name wrong. It's Josh, it's Josh Jackson. Sorry. Um, Josh Jackson has had a pretty successful run since he went into that development spurt. So hopefully Kevin Porter Jr. can have the same thing. That draft class had so many guys in it whose names had J or multiple J's in it that I can't keep them straight. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's really just going to depend on him. And if he is able to just be even fractionally better and have and maybe a different environment can help as well. I, I think that can help with scaring folks straight when it comes to 
improving and just being a better player um, both on and off off the court. I think it's exciting that Silas now has his team assembled or, you know, at least uh, uh, is more sure of the, the way things are going to go. And as I've been watching Houston lately, it looks to me like the different players are like, okay, I'm going to show I can be the guy I'm going to show I can be the guy. And I think it'll be interesting to see like how that progresses and how Silas pulls them all together to come into a team. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, is that, a lot of folks in Houston are saying that they're going to tank. And I don't think that it's worth tanking at this point, especially considering, I mean, there's three players on that team that are trying to get contracts. Um, Oladipo, John Wall, although I know Wall has a contract for the next two years and cousins, especially um, since he only has a one year deal. And I don't think it's fair for teams to, you know, go a tanking route when there's, older players. Yes, there are a number of rookies and um, relatively young players on the team. Um, I mentioned earlier of, you know, a couple of them. Um, there's also Mason Jones, who's had a really successful season so far and like top five when it comes to a ton of his stats among rookies. Um, and hopefully he'll be able uh, able to join the rookie of the year conversation relatively soon once most or more folks are able to see him. And I, I think also just in general, when it comes to for the path that the Rockets have, it, it's going to be rough just because, you know, they lost the star that was around for nearly a decade. I think that any team that has had that experience, um, I mean, OKC had that experience a couple of seasons ago um, and we've seen what can happen there. Um, I think the Rockets just have to go forward with what they know. They had the earlier postponement, which once again, I'm, I'm sort of mocking folks now that were saying, Oh, Houston was a bad, you know, bad situation. And that's what caused the postponement when now we have over 20 um, postponements because of COVID and other stuff. Um, But overall, I think the Rockets are going to do what they need to when it comes to the season and i'm just going to take it as it is um there isn't really anything else i can say about that um amber did you have any questions of course i do of course i do um i have a couple of questions my first question is in order for houston rockets to be successful who has to be your leading scorer in your opinion that's a tough one because I don't know who that actually can be or should be. Um, Eric Gordon most likely will be there a lot of nights. Um, he, the one thing is that he's streaky and inconsistent. <laughs> he frustrates me a lot when it comes to his um, scoring ability, but he's been really good recently. Like I can't say he hasn't been. Um, and when it, if he can keep it, on consistently and score like 20 to 25 points. I think he'll be that Um, Victor Oladipo. um, He'll probably be up there as well. And I think a lot of it right now is that he's really filling out the team and the Rockets are also keeping him on an injury schedule, similar to wall and to cousins and a few other folks where he's not playing back to backs. So um, I, I think there it's going to take a little while for Oladipo to get used to the system that the Rockets are playing and be successful there. I, I think other than that, it's really going to be a committee effort. 
until our okay. you know to that point where they can be elite or you know start being the leading scorer. But I'm I'm assuming Eric Gordon for now. Okay. And also, do you have any thoughts about what you would want back if PJ Tucker was to go? I I don't know. I haven't even thought about it yet. I, I'm assuming okay. that's going to be either one first round pick or two second round picks. And I think it's really up to him whether or not he wants to be traded or not. You know, he does his cryptic Instagram post, and I feel like it's just that cryptic. And, you know, sometimes it's like trollish. So who knows what he actually thinks. But the last few games, he's actually been rather, you know, relatively productive. So versus the Pistons, I'm pulling up his stats now. He had like 15 points. Um, Yeah, so he had 15 points and seven rebounds. And then last night versus the Mavericks, he had a really good game as well. So he had, well, not really as good, but at least he had six points and six rebounds, especially considering that before Harden was traded, he was having zeros when it came to his point totals for like multiple games, like four or five games, he had no points and he had a ton of rebounds, but he was just not scoring anything at all. So it seems as though he is at least wanting to contribute and be professional which is a lot more you can say that you can say compared to other folks does anyone else have any other questions if not we can wrap up we'll see you later this week or we'll uh, i will be seeing houston in my town later this week (laughs) i can't wait for us all yeah and i'll be yeah the only one i'm not gonna see is uh, golden state i can't when this is all over ladies i am coming to your towns to watch games and visits well, I won't be coming to okay. your to watch a game. Janelle, you and I will have to go on a road trip uh, to go see a game in San Francisco. Yeah, I'll be I might be in L.A. by the time COVID is allowed to allow us to do that. But going to OKC game is great. I'm just telling you, the atmosphere is amazing. So but with that, that's the end of this episode of Step Back Sisterhood. Before we leave, let's um, plug each one of our Twitter handles or other social media that we may or may not have so i um brit i'm at brit robatista on twitter as well as on instagram although i'm not really posting too much on instagram but you can direct message me on both tara where where are you at where are you at on social media if i can talk you, today <laughs> you can find me on twitter at tcb b-i-g-g-s you can also find me on my other podcast we have a take and the handle for that is at we have a take amber what about you i'm on twitter only at simply me underscore av and janelle you can find me on twitter at janelle 12 j-a-n-n-e-l-l-e i'm like i spell it out 12 and i'm also on instagram and there i'm writer diva thank you all so much for listening if you're liking what we're, you're listening to please follow us on twitter at step back sisters we'll see you next week